And we're back for another episode. This is a spontaneous recording of this. I typically like to outline to make sure I'm being as concise as possible because we all know I can ramble. I just feel so passionate about being able to provide this as a resource for you as a parent of an autistic child. But this one is candid. One, I think I'm avoiding things on my to-do list, but more importantly, I felt inspired just to come on here and record. So today we are going to talk about neurodiversity. I actually just got done teaching clinical psychology residents about neurodevelopmental disorders with a particular emphasis on talking about autism. But then I had to incorporate a diversity piece in order to meet their learning objectives. And the more I get into this neurodiversity and learning, the more I think it is so incredibly important. And one of the things I said to them is, I hope you take from this that learning and being open to learn about neurodiversity is just as important as all other elements of diversity, whether we're talking about race, ethnicity, sex, gender, sexual orientation. You know, culturally, we've seen a shift to more of an openness and discussion about all of those. And we need to be paying that same level of attention to neurodiversity because it's a diversity as well. So let's hop in to today's episode. We are going to talk about what neurodiversity is and some of its evolution. I'm going to touch on how neurodiversity is different than how autism has previously been conceptualized and my initial resistance to embracing it. This is a candid conversation. I'm completely unscripted. I just have some points that I'm feeling passionate about, and I want to tell you a little bit about my story with neurodiversity. It might surprise you. I wasn't initially like super gung-ho to learn all about it, and we're going to dive into that. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental mindset coach specializing in autism. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life, from providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent. We dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. All right, so... What is neurodiversity? We should start there. And I have talked about it in some other episodes. You're going to keep hearing about neurodiversity on this podcast because it is just that important. And working in the autistic community and working with families of autistic children, I I realized like I need to start listening. So neurodiversity is simply this idea that brains have different ways of thinking. And we all have our uniqueness in how we we think. And so that means that individuals experience the world differently. But differences do not mean deficits. And this is one of those keys where the differences between diagnosing autism and living with autism. When we're diagnosing autism, episode four dove into this, we are talking about deficits. That's that's how you meet diagnostic criteria. But after you get that diagnosis, which in that episode I also mentioned that it's so incredibly important that an evaluation is still done, even if your child identifies as neurodiverse or you 
identify them as neurodiverse, but a diagnosis can help your child qualify for services. It also is going to give you clarity on what's going to be the best ways to support them. But once a diagnosis happens, it really is about how does the autistic individual experience and live in the world? And we we need to start seeing it less on the deficit emphasis and more on differences. And what that also means is that we need to increase acceptance of autistic behaviors. So what do I mean by this? An example of this is stimming behavior. So in the DSM-5 description, that's our diagnostic manual of how we diagnose autism. Again, I talked about that in episode four. But with that, we think of what are called restricted repetitive behaviors, a really technical term. But in the lived world, in what we're hearing and what we're seeing on social media, it's called stimming. So many examples of stimming, not going to go into all of them, but for example, like rocking, spinning, jumping, flapping, all of those are examples of stimming. And historically, I'm not going to go too deep because we will be here forever talking about what's called ABA or applied behavior analysis. It is controversial in the autistic community. I think y'all deserve an episode on that to really understand, especially if you're trying to make a decision point. The only thing I'll say right now about ABA is I encourage you to really do your research on ABA, listen to the autistic community, what they are sharing about ABA, in addition to listening to providers about it. So there, there is this balance and like everything with my podcast, I believe you're the expert of your child. So you're going to take that information in and ultimately decide what is best for your child so that you aren't losing your voice like we talked about in episode five. Now, I want to talk about ABA. ABA has been around a long time. And historically, one of the targets of ABA was actually reducing these stimming behaviors and giving what's called a replacement behavior. So instead of the child flapping, you know, is there some way that they can get that input in a quote unquote, more socially acceptable way? And by doing this, what we were teaching children and their parents is masking, basically suppressing of these symptoms. And one of the reasons this is problematic is what we've learned from the autistic community in particular is that stimming is a form of self-regulation. It's regulatory. And so when we take those capabilities away or we're trying to replace it with something, that replacement isn't synonymous in the experience for the autistic individual. And so we are doing a disservice by trying to redirect a child from stimming. This is an example where we just need to have more acceptance around stimming. I work with a patient currently, it's a toddler, and we talk about all the time, and we are doing early intervention for autism. Again, could get into kind of the conceptualization and how I approach that later. So clearly an episode on ABA and early intervention is needed sooner rather than later. If y'all tell me, like, let me know, like DM me on Instagram or pop into my Evolve Facebook community and let me know if you think that episode is needed. Mom and I talk about like, you can tell that this child, this toddler is so happy when they start stimming. And it it's amazing to watch. It's a form of expression. And if we had more of the traditional mindset, basically it was, oh no, they're stimming. How do we stop this? 
that is limiting this child's expression. And so acceptance around that. Another example is like sitting in a chair or like playing with a fidget. Sometimes this goes synonymous with ADHD as well, which quick, see, this is a candid conversation. I'm just, I'm just educating you with what's coming to my mind right now in the real moment. Neurodiversity isn't just about autism. It is ADHD. It also can include things like learning disorders, like dyslexia. I've seen Tourette's. And one of the questions actually, when I was teaching today to these psychology residents is, I see so many different definitions of neurodiversity. What does it include? And I think one of the reasons we see so many definitions is it's not a cut and dry. Some people may consider consider themselves neurodiverse that don't have those diagnoses. But historically, we also see these same behaviors with ADHD, where it's like difficulty staying seated or fidgeting with something. So in children, this might look like, you know, they're, they're like fidgeting in their chair or playing with something. As an adult, you might see someone doodling, all of that. And Historically, the focus has been like, well, how do we get them to stay in their seat? Or how do we stop getting them to engage with this other thing? And what we actually know from research that in terms of ADHD is that hyperactive behaviors help to upregulate attention a lot of the time. And so rather than focusing on, is your child sitting in a chair? It's like, is your child on task? If your child is sitting there swaying as they stand and they're answering you or they're doing their homework, like let it be, right? Because you're ultimately getting the desired behavior, which is to get them to engage with you or to do their their schoolwork. Like, why are then we adding these extra demands? And when we add these extra demands, it actually takes attention away from the main primary focus. And so why do I share all of this? Because these are examples of how we need to expand our acceptance of neurodiversity and how different people's brains work just because you personally don't need to play with a fidget during a meeting doesn't mean that your child doesn't need to play with a fidget during learning activities. Or it doesn't mean that like you're a teacher, for example, that a child doesn't need to do that. And so I, I feel like as I'm saying this, I'm getting really passionate about this and I'm getting a little more intense than I intended. Here's the thing. I know you care so, so much about your child. That's what, I mean, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you weren't the best parent on the planet. Like they are just so freaking lucky to have you. I don't want to make it seem like you aren't doing something, but even if this is a new topic for you, the thing that I invite you to do is just open your mind to it. It might feel weird at first. So that is an overview on what neurodiversity is. And two other points with this is number one, we need to be listening to the autistic community and their lived experiences. Also asking if your child has verbal ability, what their lived experiences are. And that interventions, the neurodiversity community says that interventions should focus on improving quality of life. It's not about curing or fixing autism or reducing autistic behaviors, because again, we should be building acceptance around those specific things. Oh, actually, I I was about to go somewhere else, but I want to touch on this really quick because this has been on my mind, actually, is what about parents that have 
autistic children that have more severe symptoms. How does that fit into neurodiversity? How do they fit into that community? Because the autistic adults that we largely are hearing from have verbal abilities themselves. They're able to express themselves in a traditional way. Although we are starting to see some autistic adults speak out that use AAC devices and things like that. But there has been a little bit of a debate in the the field regarding neurodiversity versus there's a new term that's been coined, profound autism. And that is children that really have a lot of impairment, a lot of clinically impairing symptoms. There also might be some safety concerns and how does that fit into this? And I wanna be really mindful that yes, I believe in neurodiversity and I, I wanna make sure that those parents feel welcome on this podcast too, that this isn't just about children with verbal abilities. There are many different ways to communicate. And even your child who may be profoundly autistic is still trying to communicate. I heard something the other day and I was like, oh, that is so good. Oh, you know where I heard it? Give credit where credit is due is the book. It's called Uniquely Human. Barry Prezant, I think I'm saying his name right. He has a podcast too. He is a professor and has been in the autism field for decades. Fun little side tangent, my mentor in grad school, uh, her name was Amy Weatherby. She and Barry Prezant actually worked together to develop an intervention, but it's been cool to see him really step into this neurodiversity perspective and all of that. He was even saying that with autistic behaviors, we think about them as a typical, we think about them not existing in the, the typical population. And that's just, it's not true. Like you can identify any quote unquote autistic behavior and you can see that in a neurotypical child. It just might not have the level of impairment. But he was also talking about this idea that autistic behaviors aren't useless. They have a purpose behind them. There is some function to the behavior. I talked about stimming being regulatory, right? And with communication, we want to be open-minded to other forms of communication. And yeah, there is that intent there. I want to make sure that regardless of what your child's autism looks like, that you feel welcomed here. And I do think that there is a place to still think about neurodiversity. And guess what? Here's the thing. I think there is a place and I think sometimes, okay, I'm going to say this again. I buy in so strongly to neurodiversity, but I do think sometimes the extreme voices can shift the perspective of it one way or the other. So I have seen examples, you know, oh, do I want to say this? Do I want to say this? That's the question. But yeah, I'm going to say it. And there are some Facebook communities that are run by autistic adults, and I, I absolutely love them. And I've learned so much by being a fly on the wall. They literally say, if you are neurotypical, do not respond. And I love responding. I love helping. So 
that was hard for me, but being a fly on the wall, so, so amazing. And sometimes there are these more extreme voices that came out in the form of parent shaming, which was unfortunate to see. And I think that's true. When people get passionate about things, there's extremes on both sides. Let's, we're not going to get into it, but let's think about politics, right? Or, or social matters. There's different variations and different perspectives. And when people get passionate, sometimes that means things can be extreme. And so I think on the other side, we've heard from the parents of the profoundly autistic that they don't feel heard in this. So I do think there's a middle ground. And listen, I hope that you still can find value out of this podcast regardless. If you don't believe in neurodiversity, that's your right too. I hope to help you start to shift some of your perspectives in this process because this leads me to my personal story. When I first learned about neurodiversity, I was working in the research world. You didn't know this before I started this podcast, before I started my own businesses, like my private practice, I was highly immersed in the research world. Like I was in academia, I was writing publications. So I have around like 25 publications that are in like peer reviewed journals. That was my life. I was writing grants, all of that. I was well immersed into this world. And it's interesting through my doctoral training, it was really about building me up to be this expert in autism. I mean, it's, I dedicated my, my entire career to this, right? Clinical psychology is a broad field. And I was like, no, I want to be the person that's known for autism. And I feel so incredibly passionate. And there is not a day that I've ever questioned that decision. I like, oh, I just, I truly love what I do. It even makes me a little emotional thinking about how much I love what I do. Anyway, so I was in the research field build up as this expert of autism, publishing on autism. And there is a little bit in academia, this like, this proving of yourself. So I was in this mindset of wanting to prove myself. And the idea of neurodiversity came around and I was hesitant. I was skeptical. I wasn't sure what to think. And so I started adjusting some of my language. For example, historically, it has been child with autism. That is called person first language. It is now shifted by listening to the autistic community to identity first language, like autistic child. So that's one of the reasons on this podcast, you hear me say autistic all the time. And yeah, I started to shift the language, but then I started to be like, but wait, how do I, and I think even I was in research, but I knew I was getting ready to leave to start my own private practice. I was doing some clinical work. I saw patients one once a week and I was like, how do I bring this into my clinical practice where it's not overwhelming for parents? Like I already feel like I'm throwing so much at them when I'm giving a diagnosis of like, hey, your child has autism. Here's what you need to do to support them. Oh, let's add in neurodiversity. So I was like, oh, that feels like a lot. So I felt resistance there. I also felt if I'm being blunt, initially, I do not feel like this in any way now, I felt threatened as an expert because what we were hearing is that autistic adults and self-advocates, they are the experts. And I was like, but wait, I've worked so hard to be an expert. And y'all, as I'm saying this right now, like I am cringing myself. I also am 
Ooh, I feel a little discomfort right now, but here's the thing. I promised you real conversations on this podcast, and I feel like you need to understand me and my evolution within this field, and I've alluded to it on the previous episode, episode six, about my personal connection to autism, which will be another podcast episode soon. I just, I got to get to the point that I'm like ready to fully share my story, and there's some family reasons that I haven't shared publicly historically, which I'll get into on the podcast, but it's my evolution. And I think letting you in on this journey and letting you know that I'm learning, I'm evolving too, I think it's important and hopefully empowering that like you can learn and evolve too. You don't need to know everything. And even the word expert doesn't mean you're perfect, right? I talk about you're the expert of your child. That doesn't mean you're going to be a perfect parent. That doesn't mean you're going to know how to do everything. It's just you are the one with the most information. I see I'm all over the place today, but I hope this is... um you're getting an inside look into my my brain and my passion. But I once heard that being an expert means you know 10% more than someone else. You sure as hell know 10% more about your child than the average person is what it's compared to. So 10% more than the average person. Like, uh, yeah, you definitely do for your child. And I definitely do about autism. Anyway, I digress. Back to the point is... I felt threatened, right? That my expertise was somehow coming into question. I think I even felt threatened in the sense of like, what's going to happen to my career? Like, is neurodiversity going to make it so I'm not doing autism diagnostic assessments anymore? And the neurodiversity was also coming in and saying, well, we don't treat autistic behaviors. And I'm like, I, I work with kids all the time, like autistic children and supporting them and doing therapy. And especially on the early intervention side where conceptually we've always thought earlier is better and there's data to support that earlier is better in terms of intervention. And I was like, how does this all fit in? And again, podcast episode, I'll, I'll explain where I've kind of come with this and what I've settled on through lots of conversations. But yeah, I, I think I felt threatened that what did that mean for my profession? And then I started actually learning and then I realized it is okay, right? I am still an expert of autism and autistic individuals are experts of their own lived experience too. One of the really cool things is I I had the opportunity to grow up in a family that autism was very known. I also have seen hundreds of families at this point, right? So that gives me a broad understanding of autism, but I do not have the lived experience. I'm not an expert in that way. So I felt that resistance, but when I started to dive in, I realized, wow, there is so much amazingness here. Why are we pathologizing this so hard? And yes, I can sit there and give a diagnosis and say, this is the deficit that your child has. And I then can sit there and talk with the parent. And this is what I do in diagnostic feedback. I talk about neurodiversity. We have an open conversation about it and how neurodiversity too is focusing on strengths. And Those are things that I point out to the parent is what strengths does your child have? This isn't all about deficits. We also talk about listening to the autistic community, how they're an amazing resource. I bring up the conversation with them about ABA and educating and making the best decision 
for their family. In my reports, I actually link resources that they can start to learn about neurodiversity. So with diagnostic feedback, you have a window to share all of this. I also don't want to overwhelm, but I touch on these topics so that they know, and then I give resources to help these parents move forward. So if you're like, okay, but Taylor, what are these resources? First off, go scroll Instagram and TikTok. I am not kidding you. Search neurodiversity. You are going to learn so damn much. I've learned so much, right? I've been in this field for over a decade and I am constantly learning. Okay. Fun little fact. This wasn't specific neurodiversity related, but like, I love learning from y'all too. My Facebook community, one of the parents was talking about feeding challenges with her son and someone else then responded and was like, yeah, like I learned with my son going through feeding therapy that one of the reasons that there's picky eating is the predictability of what that food feels like. And I was like, duh, that makes so much sense. There's a sensory element. And so a lot of times we are typically seeing autistic children like really hard, crunchy things, lots of snack foods, that type of thing. That's predictable. You think about something and not saying all autistic children don't like mashed potatoes, but some part of it, you get a really creamy part and then you get might get a potato chunk. That's unpredictable. And that not only the unpredictability, but the sensory element as well. So I love learning at this point. Once I finally let go of my my fear to learn about neurodiversity, it has been the most incredible journey. And I, I have to check that fear all the time. Sometimes it will be see someone post something and it does tend to be more extreme where it's like, no early intervention. Early intervention is the worst thing. And then I go into a little bit of a spiral being like, oh God, am I am I causing harm? And I'm like, no, because I educated myself, not only on autism, I have a PhD in clinical psychology. I dedicated my career to this. And then I'm going to do like the quote unquote anecdotal learning. I'm going to listen to parents. I, I, one of my favorite things is sitting across from parents and taking in their experiences as well. And then I'm going to go to the neurodiversity community. That's not something I was ever taught in school. And I'm going to read and I'm going to listen. And because of all of that, I can feel really confident in my early intervention approach. But sometimes I still feel challenged. And sometimes as a parent, you might feel challenged too. You might come across something where it's like, yeah, I'm really trying to be accepting of autism. Y'all, you're going to have hard days. And I'm in another Facebook community that I think is really a great resource. And I'm seeing a lot of posts. It's quite a huge community about parents hating autism. And I should have given a trigger warning there. I'm sorry if that's hard to hear. But I think there are some really, really hard days. And we want to make sure we're honoring our emotions. So the way your brain thinks is going to be, it's going to vary from day to day and your level of acceptance is going to vary and your level of challenge with autism is going to vary. And that is okay. It's not a one size fits all that I'm saying, here's the neurodiversity card, take that on, learn everything about it and be perfect. Um, you have to blend your style. There might be parts of neurodiversity that you don't even feel like are in alignment with your parenting style, regardless, autistic child or not. And so this is where I always say, take in the information and then live, be you. Like live in that way and know that you're doing the absolute best for your child. But this is 
ever growing and evolving. I might listen to this podcast episode a year from now and be like, oh, I don't love that. I said that thing, right? There's things that I say, or I sometimes will repost content and sometimes I still do have child with autism. I've been trying to use a disclaimer of like how my language has evolved. In large part, I have had people call me out for it. And I'm like, listen, like an old video will like gain traction on like Pinterest or on TikTok. And people will be like, this is an identity first. And I'm like, I promise I've shifted, I've switched, but I'm not going to hold myself to this standard that I have to know everything. I'm not going to know everything. I'm never going to know everything, but a willingness and an openness to learn. And so I share my story today in hopes that my vulnerability helps you to think of it in this same way, that it's just this openness to learning. If your child has been diagnosed for quite a while, maybe you know less about neurodiversity, or maybe you just got your child's diagnosis and your provider said nothing about this. This is a brand new topic. And it's easy to feel on the defense. I felt on the defense. And so I just encourage you to have an open mind to really be able to start to explore this because I truly believe that it's in benefit of your child. And even if there's many elements of neurodiversity that don't maybe fit your child, especially in that profoundly autistic range, what I would say though is I think we can all agree that more acceptance, more awareness, that historically it's been about awareness. Awareness is the first piece to changing, but we need to take it even further is that there needs to be more acceptance. There needs to be more accommodations. We think about someone who is in a wheelchair, which interesting, I just said person first language, because I'm actually not sure how if those people prefer disabled person. So I'll use both interchangeably here, but we see wheelchair access so many more places now. And while it's a little bit maybe seems more nuanced with autism, wouldn't it be nice that that is starting to be more accepted? So I think we can all agree on that. All right, that is a wrap of this episode. And yeah, I hope you took from this more about neurodiversity. I talked a little bit about the evolution of how things have started to shift. We're really trying to have this emphasis on pathologizing it less or making it like this, this like thing that needs to be fixed. The neurodiversity community absolutely realizes that autism is a disability and that means that there are challenges that come with it. And there are also some amazing strengths as well. And how it's different, how we conceptualize a diagnosis versus being neurodiverse and yeah, just sharing my initial hesitancy to embrace it. Thank you for listening and thank you for bearing with me in this candid conversation. It was a little bit different. I just felt the need to speak from my heart after I got done teaching. I wasn't even supposed to be recording today and I was like, I got to do this and I just need to speak in a really real way so that I didn't overthink it. So thank you so much for being here. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week, I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other like-minded autism parents. It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. 
I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism and your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.